Okay, so we're continuing our series called One. If you've been with us over the last number of weeks, this has turned into like a two-month series, and um, I hope you're finding some benefit in it. We're talking about a handful of different ones as found in Scripture. I won't go through all of them, but there are theological ones in the sense that God is one, and uh, we'll take a look at our passage to ponder again and recite it together in just a moment. But we've been talking about how relationships flourish when there is a measure of oneness, when God is in his rightful place as the number one priority in our lives. We've been going through a series of ones. And today we're going to talk about one spirit, many expressions. And um, I hope you'll find this scripture talk. Again, we're going to put the emphasis on what I hope is an appropriate biblical response to societal polarization and disharmony. And Pastor Gary touched on this uh, a few weeks ago, which was a wonderful teaching. Um, but my, my best hope is that um, the gospel, which has a lot to say about relationships, how they are built so that they can lead to human flourishing, um, and the church... We have this beautiful invitation to lead by example. We actually hold within ourselves, because of God's revelation to the people of God through Scripture, we have, in many ways, um, the solution to what is a massive societal problem. If you haven't noticed, there is a lot of polarization happening in our world, a lot of um, social antagonism. Um, if you don't hold the same ideology as your neighbor, we immediately kind of get out a broad brush and, and kind of put them in a category, and uh, we're quick to, you know, delineate between us and them, and this is so anti-gospel. Um, um, we'll look at a passage in a few minutes, but Jesus is breaking down the dividing wall of hostility in Ephesians chapter 2 between the Jewish people and the Gentiles, and he's making one family, building one family. And so, in many ways, we have been given uh, the principles that are found in Scripture and the capacity by the Spirit's power in order to be bridge-building people. I always think that the church, when we're at our best, we're building bridges. We're not burning them. And uh, we're not compromising. We're just choosing the best way, which is always love, which is always kindness, which is always gentleness, Right? We're supposed to be prepared to give a reason for the answer. Uh, we're supposed to give a, a, a reason for the hope that we have as it pertains to our gospel hope, but to do it with gentleness and respect. And so as the people of God, we've been invited into a bridge-building way of living. And so um, this is going to be our teaching theme for this morning. We're going to talk about one spirit, many expressions. Um, but before we do a deep dive into that, if you're able, would you stand with me? And we're going to recite our passage to ponder. It's taken from Deuteronomy chapter 6. The Shema means to hear. This is a very significant passage uh, to our Jewish friends and to Christians alike. So would you join me by reading this so your neighbor can hear? Here we go. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
When we are talking about one spirit, many expressions, um, there is a Pentecostal scholar by the name of Gordon Fee who wrote a series of books, um, and he talked about how the Holy Spirit is the hardest or most challenging member of the triune God for us to understand. Whether we had a good father or a not-so-good father, we understand what a father is. Um, The son, we understand what a son is. But the moment we talk about the intangibility of spirit, it becomes a more complicated conversation. And in fact, when Jesus was trying to make the spirit clear to a religious leader named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, he talked about the spirit and he drew a parallel to the wind. I don't know how many of you understand the wind, but the wind comes and the wind goes and it's hard to grasp. You see its effects, you can feel it on your face, but the spirit is hard to grab a hold of. You understand what I'm saying on that one? The intangibility of spirit makes the conversation a little more challenging. And I think Gordon Fee is absolutely 100% correct. Uh, The spirit is the life force, though he is not limited to an energy or a force. He is a person. He carries all the attributes of personhood. But the Spirit of God, as Job writes, if he was to withdraw his presence from the earth, we would all die. He is sustaining all living creatures. Every time you and I take another breath, we are breathing in, in a sense, not just oxygen, but we're breathing in the Spirit. Jesus, when he tried to explain to Nicodemus about the Spirit's work, and he talked about the wind, he was talking about mystery in many ways. Um, But that word for spirit can mean breath, can mean wind. And when God, the Creator, stoops down and picks up some dust of the earth and he forms it or fashions it, and then he breathes into it the breath of life, Adam became a living creature, a living being. Without the Spirit, we would all die. And so Christians... Those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus, we have an experience of the Spirit that is different than other people who are outside of the saving faith in Jesus. They have the Spirit sustaining them as a living creature. We have the Spirit indwelling us. He is called a sanctifying Spirit, so He is helping to make us more like Jesus. Everybody, in a sense, I like the way our Catholic friends describe conscience. Um, they describe conscience as God's voice in the soul. Everybody has a conscience. Some uh, consciences are a little bit dull and need some work and refining, Um, and they can be culturally shaped, no question about it. Um, But the conscience is God's whisper or his voice in the soul that prompts us to move in this direction or that direction. God is speaking to all of us, those of us who are in the faith and those who are outside the faith, He is speaking with everyone, if we'll listen. The Holy Spirit is a very important person. Our life is literally held by the Spirit of God. And Father, Son, Holy Spirit, one God. But today we're going to talk about one Spirit, many expressions. And the way we experience the Spirit is different from person to person. You don't experience the Holy Spirit probably quite like your neighbor does or quite like the way I do. And there are no degrees of hierarchy of spiritual experience in that regard. God comes to us 
He made us. He fashioned us. He knows us, as we saw today, Jediah, right? Um, God knows us. Jehovah knows us. Um, and he relates to us in many ways based on the way that he made us. And so all the pressure is off. When I came to this realization a number of years ago that I could truly be myself, my true self, and not have to fit into something, kind of square peg, round hole approach to Christian faith, it was so incredibly liberating. I woke up this morning and thought, I feel like it's a cozy day. I'm going to put a fleece on. Others of you would not wear fleece in church, and it's super okay. We're all different. This is part of the way I express my experience and my, and that's just a small little experience, right, that we have. We all have taste buds. Some are sour, some are sweet, right? Some are, are salty, whatever it might be. We have this diversity of experiences, and they're all wonderful, and they're all good. And uh, this is why, in many ways, we talk about the denominational, the plurality of denominations in our Christian world. Um, and we would just love it if everything was simple and there would just be one church. And there is only one church in essence. But there are so many expressions because denominations have become very much like personalities. There are some uh, Christian expressions you would feel maybe like a fish out of water. It doesn't mean that that community is doing anything wrong, but it's just not a really good fit for you. And some would come in here on one Sunday and say, no, that's not for me. And we're super okay with that, too, because we cannot be a one-size-fits-all. There it is. We are ourselves. King Street Community Church has a personality. Uh, there's a dynamism of the Spirit here in the collection of the people who gather. And every time new people come and are a part of it, our personality shifts a little bit, right? We're, we're a collection of people, and, uh, and we're all on this, this journey together. So I have a two-point sermon for you today. It's a treat. It's one of those Sundays. You get two, not three points. And, uh, but as I've mentioned before, there can be a series of subpoints underneath each one. Um, here's my first thought for today. Acknowledging and celebrating what we hold in common leads to a greater experience of unity. Acknowledging and celebrating what we hold in common leads to a greater experience of unity. Um, unity and harmony are absolutely beautiful things. When it is present, it's a game changer. And when it's not present, it's a different kind of game changer. Uh, remember the words of Jesus, a house divided will not stand. Um, when we experience uh, some form of um, division or if there is um, some sort of fracture in our measure or experience of harmony, whether it be in a marriage, whether it be in a family, whether it be in a church community, and we're seeing it in society, there's fractures all over the place. Um, it's not a pleasant thing to be a part of. Uh, we want to work for, and I think it is work. It takes work. And our passage today that we'll look at in just a moment does clearly say that it does require some work. And so a house divided will not stand. Unity was very important to Jesus, and we find that in John chapter 17. It was very important as well to the Apostle Paul. And so here's Jesus in John 17. He's praying for himself. He's praying for his disciple friends, and he's praying for all who will come to know him through the witness of the apostolic community. That's us. And so this is what he says. He says, my prayer, so he's talking to God, my prayer is not for them alone, not just the disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them, all of them may be one, from plurality to oneness. This is the way God works. This is the heart of Jesus, that all of them, plurality, will be, may be one, function as one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they have that kind of experience of oneness. May they also be in us so that the world may believe 
that you have sent me. And so we have this opportunity, especially in the world that we're living in right now, where there is polarization all over the place, where there is social antagonism, where there's all sorts of ideological disputes. One's right, one's wrong, or I should say one's right, one's left. I didn't mean left is wrong, by the way, when I said that. Um, one's right, one's left. I see it from this perspective. I see it from that perspective. And then we push back against each other, trying to talk each other into seeing it the way we see it. Sometimes we should just say, you see it differently than me, and I accept that. And I can celebrate you. I love you. I serve you. I'm with you. You're my brother. You're my sister. We see it differently, and it's okay. Um, Dallas Willard says, not all of life is a matter of righteousness. Some things are a matter of wisdom. And sometimes we just need to say, it's not right, it's not wrong, it is what it is, and we accept and we move to higher ground, which is love and acceptance. That can be a scary place for some of us when we have bought into a certain way of looking at truth, where we have seen everything through a lens of black or white. Shades of gray can be scary for some people. I guess I would, I would advocate and argue today that the gray is an invitation for us to exercise God's kind of love and to make space for the Spirit's kind of maturity so that we don't create mountains out of molehills. Doesn't it seem these days that everything can become an issue? And it's sometimes just exhausting. I just want to relate to somebody and just look at them eyeball to eyeball and say, you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my friend. We don't have to fight over everything. So here's Paul's words. He's talking to Christians. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all and in all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And so, unity is very important to Jesus, very important to the Apostle Paul. And unity is an expression of character. Um, there are some wonderful hiring principles that um, Willow Creek Community Church in Chicago made really, really well known by Christian uh, communities. When you're looking to hire staff, they argued that you should be on the lookout for chemistry that you should be on the lookout for competency, right? People are good at what they do. Uh, culture, can they fit into the organizational culture? Um, and then the last one, which is probably the biggest of all, character, the four Cs. Um, because character, if you don't have it, it has the potential to literally destroy what you've built. You can have wonderful competencies, you can fit with the team, and it can almost be like an organizational glove. It's just wonderful. This person, the culture of the organization fits. But if there's bad character, the whole thing can blow up. And I would argue from this passage that character is also what blows up harmony. Um, disunity, again, destroys marriages, families, churches, nations. A fractured marriage, family, workplace, team, church, it doesn't just happen. It's a result of a handful of choices that are made, a handful of dynamics that are at play. And one of the ways that disunity um, 
takes place is when we actually have a values collision with somebody else and we mismanage the process. So if you don't take my word for it, I'll go back to verse 2 of Ephesians 4. Disunity is a character issue. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another, uh, bearing with one another in love. And literally that bearing with one another is holding up or suffering with, walking beside, being with that person. That's how we foster unity. And then Paul the Apostle, later, he was so committed to this idea of safeguarding Christian unity and harmony that he wrote these words. He says, warn a divisive person once, warn them a second time, and then he says, have nothing to do with them. Paul's writing this to Titus and says, this is the way the church ought to operate. If someone's bent on being divisive, come alongside them gently and with humility, warn them once. Give them a second chance. Grace always makes room. But then, okay, this is now a pattern, character. Something's formed in this person. And so uh, Paul is saying, have nothing to do with that person because they're going to blow the thing up. And then in the very next breath, here's what Paul says. You may be sure that such a man is warped and sinful. That's a character problem. They're warped and sinful. Those are Paul's words. And so unity is ultimately a character dynamic. And so if a church family struggles with unity, which we don't, um, not that I'm aware of, and there can be challenges in the church family, we're not in heaven yet, so two people can struggle to get along with each other, that's okay. We work towards resolving issues when we can. Um, but if a church like King Street Community Church fell on some really challenging times, became very divisive, there was a, a measure of disunity here, I would immediately begin talking about character because we have a character challenge. And, and Paul's bang on here when he says humility, right? Patience, gentleness. So we don't, we're not elbows up saying you better see the world like me. No, it's washing feet, serving one another. It's out of a place of humility where we can truly be the family of God the way we've been called to be the family. And then here's the last uh, thought under this first point here is unity requires a focused effort. It requires a focused effort. Um, unity and maintaining it um, requires some deliberate intentionality. Uh, as much as it depends on you or me, live at peace with everyone, right? We go to work to build peace. Can I even say that we fight for peace? We fight for unity. We fight for harmony because the alternative robs us all of peace and joy. Um, the media is a wonderful um, idea to keep the citizens informed on what's happening with government and in society. Um, and at the same time, if we don't put parameters around our exposure to media, it can influence our mental health. Um, we can get drawn into all sorts of positional, you know, we take up some territory and say, yeah, that person's right about this. And, and the media, uh, depending on which um, outlet you're listening to or reading, has a bias, they have a perspective, and they're looking to influence, not just report. And, uh, and sometimes I would give them the benefit of the doubt that they're not looking to fan into flame disunity and disharmony, but in a culture when um, competing ideas are delivered and commentary is made, and we have convictions, some of us have very strong convictions about certain things, it can inflame us. And when we bump into somebody else who sees it differently, we can just immediately 
in our minds anyway, begin to either diminish them, discount them in some way, and perhaps even foster some measure of disunity. Um, and so we need to be very, very careful, as Paul says, to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. Just because there is a measure of unity in this church today doesn't mean that there will always be a measure of unity in this church that's healthy and, and helpful. And so we want to make sure that we are the kinds of people that when we're speaking, we're speaking to the right person about the right issues. Uh, my former senior pastor, Keith Smith, used to always say that it's important who you go to. Um, if we're having conversations about problems, but the person we're speaking to about the problem can't help us solve the problem, why are we speaking to them about the problem? Right? We go to the person who can actually help us. It's so biblical, Matthew 18, who we go to and how we speak and how we speak about one another um, so that we're careful not to put any, any fuel on any flames that might be already there. So this idea of um, celebrating and acknowledging what we hold in common leads to a greater experience of unity. And don't we have so much in common as Christians? Uh, inside King Street Community Church and outside King Street Community Church. You know my heart on this. If you're new here, I am a big uh, fan of the uppercase church. Uh, I'm a believer that there is something in every denominational expression that we can learn from. Uh, we may ha have points of disagreement, but can we be honest? They're like small. When you compare all that we have in common regarding the gospel and regarding Jesus and our triune God and the way of salvation and our hope of heaven, and there is so much that we hold in common. And I think it does us well, it does the kingdom of God to make sure that we continue to celebrate those things uh, and acknowledge them. All right, second point, which is the last point for today, is recognizing and appreciating our diversity leads to a greater experience of unity. Um, saying yes to who God has made us to be as people and saying yes to who God is making us to be as people, both as individuals, families, greater communities, churches, uh, it's absolutely critical to experiencing peace and joy in life. So we say yes to who we are. And we say yes to who our neighbor is. We say yes, an advanced yes. This is Discipleship 101. We say an advanced yes to what God is doing as he's forming us. We haven't just been formed, we are being formed. And so thanks be to God for who I am today, but thanks be to God, he's not gonna leave me this way. He's gonna grow me and he's gonna grow you. And we make room, right? This is where the gentleness and the patience kicks in. We make room for the person you are today. And we make room for the person God is making you to be tomorrow. Do you remember a number of years ago, the way you used to think about certain things? The way, maybe even the values you held? Have there been any changes in the way you think? Have there been any shifts in what your values are? Maybe they've deepened, become even that much more rooted, or maybe you've let go of some of them, and I would say appropriately so for some. For some, we've let go of some values we should have held on to. And today is about a recovery, actually, a return to some of the values we may have let go of. Uh, but for others of us, we just recognize the shift, and we are learning, right? We're learning. This is what a disciple does, student of Jesus. We're learning to follow him. We're on a path with him. He invites us along the narrow way and says, come follow me. And as we make progress, we're learning and growing, and we're becoming different people. That's what this is largely about. We had a great conversation about prayer recently um, as a staff team and, and the mystery around prayer. Um, there, there is a mystery around how what happens when we pray. 
Um, somehow God partners with us, and we get to shape history with him. But the most important thing happens when we pray is not about shaping history, though that matters. What matters is that when we're in God's presence, we get transformed and we get changed. And so that's why we're called to pray, because God wants to form himself in us, a recovery of the image of God. It's a wonderful thing. Okay, so really quickly, I'm just going to share a few passages, and then we'll be done. Different role, same Lord. Okay, we're going to talk about diversity and how we should recognize and appreciate it, and it leads to a greater experience of unity. Different role, same Lord. Let me read this. Ephesians 4, same passage that we were reading earlier. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. That's the point, right? These different people were assigned different roles so that the body of Christ, the people of God, could be built up in the unity of the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And so, can you see how this could become problematic when back in the first century, if the apostles were held higher than the prophets or the evangelists or the pastors, teachers, and all of a sudden there became a pecking order of leadership in the church, and who's more important than who? Who has more authority than who? And then all of a sudden what you have is we're missing the forest for the trees. We have different roles but the same mission. We're kind of, we're moving towards this outcome of unity in the family, and there's different ways and different gifts and different capacities. When everybody functions within their role, then all of a sudden the unity and the maturity that God wants to bring about can happen. But if we end up missing the forest for the trees, emphasizing the role, creating pecking order, they actually did this in Corinth, and Paul had to correct them. He was saying, well, who is Cephas, and who is Paul, and who is Barnabas? And These are just servants of Christ. Don't make more of the leaders in their role and their function. And so it's important that we recognize that different role, but the same Lord. Different function, same spirit. Romans chapter 12, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, that's all of us here today, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith that God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We belong to each other. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, then do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, then do it cheerfully. And Paul wasn't done there in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. One of the problems we face as humans is that we do two things. We often compare, and we often, let's say three things. We often compare, we often compete, and we often criticize. When we are comparing, we are positioning ourselves for either superiority, because we look down at others, or inferiority, we're looking up at others and putting ourselves down. And so comparing can be a challenge for all of us. 
we do it, and probably more often than we're aware. And so practicing a measure of self-awareness and paying attention to what's happening in the moment to say, I just, I just went there. Sometimes we can compare, and then it can lead to a criticism, right? Somebody is not, and you fill in the blank, or somebody's too much, and you fill in the blank. And, and so we can easily go there. Um, this challenge we face can disrupt our own personal peace and then can create all sorts of false metrics as we evaluate what's most important, and then we can pull at the fabric of, uh, of spiritual unity. And so Paul says the, sa- the same Spirit gave a plurality of gifts. Um, God has given some tremendous gifts. I don't know if you know what yours are, but whatever you have been endowed with or entrusted with, it's beautiful and it's sacred and it was given to you for a reason to uh, develop it and then deploy it so that other people can be helped. Um, This is what Scripture teaches. We've all been given the capacity to do some things well. And when we do some things well, like people who drum well and people who play keyboards well and people who play guitar well, we all get helped. And there are people who can organize and administrate, and there are people who can lead, and there are people who can teach, and there's all sorts of gifts. They are all given by the Spirit, and they are all worthy of celebration. There was a problem in Corinth, and um, the Corinthians used to prize and elevate speaking in tongues. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14 um, deals with spiritual gifts and how the church ought to function when they gather corporately and publicly. Paul provides a host of safeguards, and he says, by the way, if anybody ever comes into your gathering and you're speaking in tongues and nobody's interpreting, that person's going to think you're crazy. Those people are going to say they're out of their minds, and they're not going to be helped because they're now a foreigner to the speaker. Paul says, when you meet in a gathering, you should speak intelligible words so that the people around you can be edified and encouraged and built up and strengthened. Because whenever we meet, it's not about me, myself, and I. It's about us. That's the Spirit. That's what He wants to do. It's a community. And so the last thing we ought to do when we gather for worship is to think thoughts about our preference and about what we want, and what will build me up. It's about us. And so um, when Paul spoke to the the Corinthians, he said, whoa, 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 whoa. Tongues are important. Tongues are important. They have a place in the church. He said that. So I'm a believer that all the spiritual gifts should be functioning in the body of Christ, all of them. This is one of the beautiful recoveries of the Pentecostal movement, is that there has been a um, rediscovery, could we say, of all the gifts. And I know that not everybody in the church community, the Christian community across other denominations sees it like us, and that's okay. It's all right. I don't ever want to come at it from a place of arrogance, but we come at it from a place of this is what Scripture seems to teach in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14. And 1 Corinthians 13 is in the middle for a reason. It talks about how love is the greatest gift, the greatest gift, And when we function any of those other gifts without love, we are just like somebody banging that symbol over there, annoying everybody, right? The power of God apparently is being demonstrated, but there's no love, there's no kindness, there's no patience, there's no gentleness. It's just an annoying sound. So Paul says, don't even think for a moment about chasing any of these gifts. Love is the most important thing. And then he says, oh, by the way, 
1 Corinthians 14, he says prophecy. Oh, that's a very important gift because it strengthens and encourages and edifies the body. And so we just want to be careful as we celebrate our common, the common spirit, and there are um, different expressions, not all the same expression, but it's the same spirit behind all of it, and he's speaking value over everything. And so we as the people of God ought to do likewise. And here's the last passage. Different background, same family. Um, we in this room represent so many different families, even nations, generations. It's all here. Different background, but same family. This is one of the reasons I absolutely love the gospel and what it holds out for our society today. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts, all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body. Whether Jew or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And every part has a part to play. Um, this is why I love the church. We've got white collar, blue collar. We've got incredibly um, educated and people with less education. We have people with a lot of financial means and people who struggle from day to day, week to week to make ends meet. We have men and women in leadership. We have uh, people from a plurality of ethnic backgrounds. All the generations are here from the nursery to, I know one of our congregational members is 93 years young. Uh, we have maybe even people older than that. There is a place in the church for everybody. Uh, some churches have um, targeted a certain demographic. I'm not throwing rocks. That's not who we are. We are targeting everybody who has breath in their lungs. Uh, we are targeting every human who's made in the image and likeness of God. Uh, we are majoring on the majors, not majoring on the minors. Um, we are not going to be ever, probably, unless the Spirit moves us in different directions in the future, and He's able to do that, we will probably not be a leading-edge church when it comes to, wow, I never saw that done before like that. You know what we want to be? We want to be a church with Jesus at the very center of it. We want to be a community that loves and serves one another, most importantly, our one true God, and then lets that love and service overflow into the community around us. We want to be the real deal where the Holy Spirit comes I hope you see me as the real deal. This is what I want to be. This is what I strive to be. I don't practice these sermons before I bring them to you. Uh, I believe God's working in me throughout the week or any of our teaching pastors. And then we come up and it's like, here it is. It's a little bit raw sometimes, uh, but it's, it's a person speaking to you. I, I haven't put together. I, I could do it. I could do a 20-minute tight uh, I could be an orator. I could have notes. I could have it all written down. I could just go, go, go like that. And a number of years ago, I did it a little bit more like that. And I felt like God was saying to me, David, just let me shine through you as you are. Stand up and be yourself. Be the real deal. That's not why I said that, by the way. That's not why I said that. It's, it's just like here, this is a real person. And I've said this many times, but because I've been here for almost 18 years now, I just keep saying it over and over again. We want to just be the kinds of people that when you come to gather for worship here, you're not let down on Monday morning. You know what I mean by that? In some settings, everything is just, you come in and you have this unbelievable moment. 
But then it's almost like you become dependent on the moment. And then when Sunday afternoon, Sunday night, Monday morning, Tuesday, Wednesday, it's sort of like, I need to go back and get that infusion. That's not supposed to be the point of the church. We are supposed to be a gathering community and scattering on mission. Gathering community, scatter on mission. I hope when you come, you say, that was 90 minutes well spent or however long we were here. And I hope you do feel inspired and lifted and edified and encouraged and instructed and all the wonderful things God wants to do through the ministry of teaching and worship. But we don't want to be a show, right, where you come, grab your seat, get your drink, watch it, curtain goes up. Wow, then the Christian professionals come out and they wow the crowd. The super apostles come out on stage. You can find those in mega churches in the U.S. Please, hear my heart, not throwing rocks. There's all sorts of ways to do the church, to be the church. And this is in Canada, in the Durham region, the 905, in the time in history that we're living right now, where people in our society trust about that much anybody who's in leadership and trust about this much any institution and trust maybe even less than that much any religious organization, we just say, here we are. This is us. And so we just try to be as vulnerable and as open and as transparent as possible. And this is what we are today. But that might not be what everybody in this room wants. I would bet that that's the truth. I bet you if I went aisle to aisle, row to row, and I asked you, what do you want us to do more of and less of? Oh, be a list. It would be massive. Yeah, I'd be roll, be like a scroll, like the Old Testament scrolls. Be like, wow, look at that. But you know what I want to say to you? You're amazing people, and you love God, and you're mature because you're still here. Because it's not about you. It's not about your preferences. You say, yeah, I'd like a little more of this, a little less of that, but these are my people. This is my church community. The gentleman we prayed for this morning, Paul Dukowitz, the only reason he's not here is because he's in in a, a care home, a care facility, where he needs the appropriate care. He's been a part of this church. My best guess is he's pushing about 60 years. He built the bookcases in the office that I was, in, in the office that I got to use early on when I was here. He was the a property volunteer manager of the space, former board member. Pushing 60 years? That's awesome. I love that. I love that. Putting roots down in a community because he gets it. These are my people. Oh, yeah, I'm sure he would, have, he would have wanted Pastor Dave to be more of something or less of something or the church to offer different things. But these, this is family. This is family. When it's family, you go to Thanksgiving, right? You go to Easter. You, go to, you remember birthdays. It's, I'm, I'm in. I'm invested because I'm a larmer, right? I'm family. It's, this is the vision at King Street, that we would be a biblically functioning community that acts like family. You can't know everybody, but you got to know somebody, right? And somebody's got to know you. And uh, pardon me? Oh, good, Mark. That's good. Thank you. It's good to know that. I think I'm, in, I'm hearing him say, stop, we've got it. <laughs> no, that's good. No, I know that's not what you're saying, Mark. I'm having fun with you. Okay, so uh, I think we're done for today. And I feel like that's a good, a good way to land. So why don't, why don't we...
If you're able, why don't, why don't you stand with me, and we are going to um, wrap up with prayer, and I just want to make sure that I do what I'm supposed to do at the end here. Um, but let's, let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you again today for your Holy Spirit who is working in the world, and he's working in the church. And um, Lord, I agree, and I'm sure many of my friends do too, that Gordon Fee is right. The Holy Spirit is hard for us to fully grasp. There's so much mystery. But what we do know is that we need you. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to come to us in all sorts of fresh, beautiful ways, like the wind. Come and refresh your people, Lord. Breathe on us. Lord, without you, we would die physically, spiritually. We just so badly need you. Lord, would you please forgive us when sometimes we go on autopilot and think we can do this Christian life on our own? Would you please have mercy on us when we lose the plot somewhat and we think that we are smart enough or skilled enough? God, we ask you to forgive us. We repent today. We want to be a spirit-filled community, always. We want to be full of the Spirit's wisdom and power. Lord, we ask you to come. You have already been poured out into the world, but we ask you for a fresh sense of your presence in our lives. Lord, may there be a continued awakening, Lord, where we become even that much more aware of who you are, what you've called us to, to do and to become. So we do pause today to pray and to ask you to give us what we cannot give ourselves. We even ask you, Lord, to give us a spiritual appetite. Some of us, Lord, maybe have lost our appetite. We pray that you would give us a spiritual desire that can be filled by nothing other than you. And there is that hole, so to speak, God-shaped space in our lives. We ask you, Lord, to help us to not try to fill that with anything other than you. And when we do, Lord, thank you that a measure of dissatisfaction comes to us so that we realize we're misplaced. Um, God, help us. Help us with this. And Lord, we pray over our church family for the spirit of unity to be among us. We pray, Lord, that there would be such harmony, such patience and gentleness. Lord, there would be just a wonderful um, tone of accepting one another as we are. And uh, thank you, Holy Spirit, that you don't leave us there, that you grow us and help us to be a part of that in one another's lives without judgment. Uh, but help us, Lord, to move safely into one another's lives in a way that makes everybody feel rooted and grounded and connected to the one true God. And Lord, please help us not to misrepresent you in the world. Help us to speak well and wisely, to be quiet when we need to be. Help us not to be a polarizing force. Help us not to be full of judgment. But help us, God, just to be led by the Spirit, moved upon by the Spirit. Oh, Lord, moved upon by the Spirit. Yes, Lord, that's what we want. So Jesus can be seen and glorified and honored. Lord, keep us from all the extremes. Keep us from the stuff that distorts the gospel. Help us, Lord, in our zeal not to conjure things up, to let you come to us in the way you choose to come to us. 
Oh, Lord, I love that idea. Come to us, Lord, we pray. And we pray this in the wonderful name of Jesus, who is always Savior, King, Lord, and God's one and only Son. We pray that in his holy name. Amen. Amen.